Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finneran, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. Today is Friday, May 28th, and we gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our light and our salvation. And this light shines on us today at the end of the Psalms, Psalm 149. The author tells us to sing to the Lord a new song. A good reminder, kind of not sure how that all works out in our daily lives, but it is a good reminder for us because every day is a new day with our Lord Jesus and his forgiving grace. And how does this connect to our daily lives and the ways that we worship and how we look at our Lord? Stick around as we find out for the gifts are ready ready for you. Thank you to our friends from Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us Pastor Ross Shaver of Zion Lutheran Church and School in Nampa, Idaho. Pastor Shaver, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thanks for having me again. Well, a blessed uh, Pentecost to you and your family. Um, so what's happening for you, your family, and the work of the saints at Zion Lutheran Church and School? Well, probably uh, one of the biggest things just coming off of, of Pentecost is that um, the, just the celebration of that. We had confirmation this last Sunday as well. And then um, we also finished up our school year. So um, looking towards the summer break and um, and getting into the the Trinity season and season after Pentecost and and continuing on. Well, great, great, and and uh, mm-hmm. something with the school is concerned. Uh, uh, you've kind of had a little double duty. You've been doing some headmaster work and all that. So how was that all holding up for you? Yeah. So. Um, yeah, our school is a, it's a classical Lutheran school. And, um, this last year we, um, we didn't have a headmaster. So I've been doing double duty in that regard and filling in a lot of ways. The school board has been, um, has been doing some extra work as well. And some of the teachers, so we're still actively looking for a new headmaster. We're, we're in the works. It's conducted interviews and call committees been doing its um, due diligence and prayer and search and so we have that we have some new teachers that we're looking for and looking at right now as well so there's a lot of a lot of things happening and it's it's a joy but honestly you know it's, it's a little tiring at times trying to do two full jobs yeah so yeah so we're all looking forward to um to who the lord will send to us to help to help lead our school and teach our children and to continue to pray, proclaim Christ in our community. And this is a reminder for, for you, our listeners, and for me, to be honest, is how can we pray for our Lutheran schools? As there's a lot of moving parts with that on their pastor, on the um, on the teachers, on, on everybody. And so just a reminder to all of you um, who are listening today to pray for our Lutheran schools, uh, not only in Napa, uh, Idaho, but other parts of our country and our world. We even have international schools in China, Vietnam, and in Hong Kong, which have many Lutheran teachers out there as well. So pray for that, and the call process can be very stressful. So 
and keep Pastor Shaver in your prayers as well. But on that note, as we search the scriptures today, we dig into the Psalms, speaking of prayer. And Pastor, can you begin our time in prayer? Sure. Yeah, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So all praise, honor, and thanksgiving be to you, O Christ, the King of glory. Because by your suffering and death, the shedding of your blood, that you have redeemed us from the kingdom of darkness, made us partakers of your victory over Satan, over sin, and over death. So grant us now a, a cheerful and a deep faith to sing that new song of your grace with our hearts, with our soul, to make known your salvation among all the people of the world. And grant us your grace, O Lord, as we consider this psalm and your word here this morning through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor, we are on Psalm 149. And just a, a reminder to our listeners that how what we're doing, and we've been doing this the last few days, is we just got down with First Kings, and we're going to go to Second Kings on Monday. Um, but I want to want to split things up, change it up a little bit, and so we have included the Psalms. And because I know I'm a guy that likes to see everything, at, you know, as as quick as possible, I went Psalm one, and then went to Psalm one fifty, and then two and three, and now to Psalm one forty nine. Now, what's interesting is two and three are much different than one forty nine. But we always talk about the Psalter. And we have this in our, our, our liturgy. We have this in our uh, pericopes. We have it in all of this. And it brings up something um, that, that brought to mind for me, and I want, Pastor, to hear your thoughts on this, is that the psalms are a vital part of how we worship. So why are the psalms so important in the worship life of the church? Well, um, really for the basic reason is because they're God's word and they proclaim Christ. And so because of that, of course, they're fitting. They're fitting for us to, to hear the word of God, to, um, to speak back to God, his own word, what's most true and what's most sure in our lives. And, um, and by doing so as well, we join our voices with, with God's people throughout the world, throughout time, and even with Christ himself, who, who um, esteemed these psalms, who prayed these psalms, and as you, as you probably just touched on with some of these other ones that, that we've just looking at, how you know, these are very much tied into the life and the death and the resurrection, the atoning work of, of Jesus himself. And so because of that, they, um, they're very fitting for us because they teach us about Christ. They strengthen our faith in him. And through that, um, through that poetic language that is expressed here as well, this, um, these psalms, they, um, they, they express some of the most inmost thoughts and even um, the fears and the joys of humanity. And so, um, so when we pray them, and when, especially when we gather together and worship like this, we express this kind of wonder felt by, by those who have gone before us who, who see the glory of God in Christ, who gaze upon the glory of God in his creation, um, we, we join our voices with those, um, giving voice to intense sorrow for sin and for living in this broken world. And, um, we're able to express, um, the joy of our salvation. And as we're going to touch on, 
um, this new song and what that means that we get to again join our voices here and, and sing out to Lord this new song about the salvation that we have in Christ and the ongoing implications of that in our day to day life. So these things are, um, they're incredibly important. They're, they're rich. Um, they're, they're so deep where you can continue to, to pray, to study and, and never exhaust this wonderful prayer book and hymn book of the Bible itself. It is interesting because we started this whole time with Dr. Soleska from St. Louis, who started us off with Psalm mm-hmm. 1. And it was, it was really, and he had a, he had, obviously he, he's written the commentary on Psalm 1, Psalms 1 through 50. And he just had a mm-hmm. lot of great insights on, on how much we can dig into each almost line in the Psalms. And, and for us yeah. to be able to understand the context and obviously pointing us to Jesus and how we will, it's very, very much so, I would, I would say many churches, and, and mine, mine included, is that there's sometimes we don't really have a, a history of incorporating the Psalms into our, our worship life, uh, the intro it or the Psalm of the day. And it is, it is something that we do miss when we don't have it in our worship service because, like you said so well, it's, it's, it's the Word of God, so why would we not use it? But also, this is what has been prayed for generations before us. And so I think that's right. something that we all need to consider when we worship, is how can we incorporate them? Any thoughts on that? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's, it's vitally important. And historically, the Psalms have been used um, in public worship and in private devotion all the time. I mean, there's, there's groups that have prayed through the Psalms on a weekly basis or on a monthly basis, even in our hymnal, the Lutheran service book. Um, we have a schedule of, of praying the Psalms and, and not just praying them, but, um, but, but singing them. We've got these, um, these wonderful chants at the beginning of the hymnal um, because these Psalms as well, they're not, just, they're not just prayers, but they're songs, they're hymns meant to be sung. And sung by God's people, and they they lend themselves to um, to that kind of communal singing, both um, to one another, but as well as directing our praise to God. So, it's um, it's a vital and incredibly important part of the Christian faith, and always has been. I mean, going back before Christ, God's people have incorporated these sorts of psalms um, into, into this public worship and in various ways, both publicly as well as again, in, in their own private devotion. So, and that's, that's some again of what we're going to talk about when we get to, when we actually get to Psalm 149 is that, um, we see some of its usage, but that's what it's for. I mean, it's intended for God's people to take up the word of God upon their hearts, upon their lips. And to um, to proclaim His glory and to share in that glory of Christ. So let's do this. I'm going to read the whole Psalm, and then let's talk okay. about how this gets used in the church. Um, you know, maybe some authorship or timeline of this. That's a little bit difficult with this one. Sure. But then also, you know, how does this used in the Lutheran sense? So um, as far as our yeah. confessional writings and our doctrine. So uh, I'll just read through this, and then we'll get to a few of those questions. So Psalm 149, okay. reminder to our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version, and we'll just go through all nine verses, and we'll break it down later. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker, and let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. 
For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and the two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Now, I want to get this out of the way right now is uh, this psalm has been famously quoted in culture, and it happened um, in in the movie Footloose. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll get this all the way right now. So Kevin Bacon stands before the city council with the very fundamentalist pastor standing there overseeing this council meeting. I'm not sure how that works, but, um, and he, and they're like, we should be able to dance, he says. And then he, he quotes Psalm 149. Is this psalm about dancing at a high school um, dance in a small town? What do you think? <laughs> not quite. Yeah, <laughs> not quite. So tell us about it. What's the background? Do you have any context or possible or what, what we know about this psalm? Okay, well, um, yeah, I guess to begin is um, the authorship is, is unknown here. Um, there's been some ideas, but uh, nothing for certain. Um, the date of this, of the composition of this is also unknown. There's a, there's a good idea that this could have been composed during the time of restoration under, um, under Ezra and Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. So after the Babylonian captivity. Right. Okay. And um, it certainly would be fitting in, in a certain time like this to, um, for the Psalm to have been written it. And if nothing else um, included, during some of the festivities in that. So um, really, and this psalm coming at the end of the Psalter here um, is part of the, um, the Hallelujah Psalms, which are um, really the last five psalms of the Bible, and they all start off the same way of Hallelujah, right? Praise the Lord. Mm. And, um, and it describes this really um, kind of this festival procession to the Temple Mount, um, in celebration of, of victory over over the enemies of Christ, and so so yeah, it's not quite a high school dance um, <laughs> that this is talking about, but rather the uh, the victory and the celebration of God's people as as um, they approach worship and as they um, they recognize and call out to to the Lord to continue to share His victory over His enemies and ours. Um, with those who believe in him, and so, um, so in that sense, it's um, it's it's almost a you know a psalm, a hymn, a, a, a joyful expression of faith in a parade, almost um, mm-hmm. again a procession as as we approach the very house of the Lord. And that's that's very insightful as far as a restoration psalm because. You think about they come back from the Babylonian captivity. They want to rebuild the temple. And this is probably relatable for us today is there are times where the church just needs to be able to uh, praise it out, if you will, or pray it out, get, get it out there and just like let's, let's have something, some kind of hope here. And I think that's a, that's a good reminder for us. These Alleluia um, Psalms are ones that when things are being rebuilt, which obviously is every day in Christ for us, 
that we can mm-hmm. use these psalms for that purpose. I, I never I have to think about that when we get to certain times of the year. And and as a church, um, we typically have the psalm appointed uh, commonly every year, actually, as a matter of fact. So when do we typically have this appointed in the worship life of our churches? Yeah, so um, it shows up in a couple of different places. As, um, as the appointed psalm of the day, it shows up on All Saints Day. Mm-hmm. And um, which is therefore, it's a very fitting psalm then, because here we are joining our voices with the church triumphant, praising the Lord over the victory again that we have um, that we have in Christ and His victory over over sin, death, and the power of the devil. And so, um, so singing and proclaiming it on All Saints Day is um, is a wonderful. It's a wonderful opportunity and a, a very proper use of that. And it shows up um, in that same sense. It shows up um, also as the the intro of the day for um, for that Sunday that um, that we normally celebrate All Saints Day. Mm. So um, we have that, not the whole psalm in that instance, just the first four verses, which really highlight um, the praise and the thanksgiving and that victory aspect. It shows up as well um, in in the Easter season, and um, on the fifth Sunday of Easter in the three year series in um, in series A that first year, um, because it you have just that first verse, "Sing to the Lord a new song, is praise in the assembly of the godly," and that's that really sets the tone for that fifth Sunday of the Easter already, as we're still. We're still on our celebration victory in the high of Easter in Christ's victory over death and over the devil. And, and so we join our voices again singing in this new song. Um, and then lastly, it, it shows up as well as the appointed psalm in the one-year series for, um, for the last Sunday of the church year. Um, and again, that carries on kind of the same theme of those final Sundays of the church year um, during that um, our fall time, right? Right before we get back into Advent. Mm. So um, we end up singing this again on that last Sunday as we, um, as we hear again the, the proclamation of the victory of Christ, who is our King, and the victor over, um, over all of these spiritual forces in which we are engaged in warfare, and then also looking towards the, the coming of Christ, both um, his coming at Advent, you know, and, it's for, and the remembrance that is coming in the flesh, but also his coming now through his word and sacraments and his future coming again to judge the living and the dead. And I, I like how you brought that together, because that's something that I commonly will forget is, uh, okay, what is the appointed psalm? And to have its meaning, I mean, sometimes we get so busy and everybody in their lives gets so busy, you show up Sunday morning and you forget about the theme of, of why were these passages even chosen? What season am I in? Why are the colors different? And and, and what are you talking about? It's Thanksgiving time. You know, we're getting ready for Christmas. I mean, what are you talking about? The end of the church year, that kind of thing. And you really brought that together well, this theme of having joy being able to sing God a new song because um, the Lord is coming um, the Lord has come and and we join with all the saints what an important aspect that time of year for us to continue to remember but then it also you talk about this being part of our worship life but also it has this psalm is used kind of in a way that I had forgotten that points us to who we are as the church um, what does it mean to be the church and this is used in our confessions and can you talk about that 
Yeah, it um, it shows up in the Augsburg Confession, Article Seven, on the Church. And um, this is you know, just like you. This is also something that I had forgotten, and so it was a, a wonderful reminder as I started to study this again. That um, there in in Augsburg, in the Augsburg Confession, Article Seven, it, it is speaking about um, about the church itself and who is the church, and it simply starts out like this: it says the church is the congregation of saints, in which the gospel is purely taught and the sacraments are correctly administered. So there's a, a very good um, definition of what the church is, right? It's the congregation of saints, and there's a reference there then to Psalm 149, verse. One hmm. and in um, in the translation, the translation in which in reading um, and which we read from as well um, is from the English Standard Version, and in there it talks about his praise in the assembly of the godly, and that that assembly of the godly, just another way of translating that, is the congregation of saints. And it's it's interesting um, because one of the for for our listeners we're speaking about the Augsburg Confession, um, one of our confessional writings in the Book of Concord for us that we confess as Lutherans, and one of the most clear statements it has is obviously about justification, but also about the church because we could spend all day trying to define the church, but here it's very simple about it's the it's believers it's saints you know believers in Christ gather together around the sacraments and the word of God taught um, correctly and purely. And he incorporates this, which I, you know, of all verses, I guess I wouldn't have thought of this being one of the verses to use, but it does give us a very clear understanding when we gather together in his name, um, that's the church. And, and, and it's, it's a wonderful right. way of bringing that together. Any last thoughts on, right. on the background or how we use it? Or, I mean, we've gone through quite a bit here. Any last thoughts? Well, that's um, just kind of hitting on that last thing again. That's going to show up um, again. I mean, it shows up in, in verse 1 of the psalm, but it's going to show up as well in verse 9 um, near the end, right before the last hallelujah. This is honor for all his godly ones. And so it, it's really important to remember as we go throughout this and as we, we again, we join our voices with the church of God throughout all ages, that, that we are part of this church um, because of the Holy Spirit working through his means of grace, the word and the sacraments. And so as we're gathered in the name of Christ and around these marks of the church, God creates and he sustains us so that we can sing out the word, this new song, and call out to him in, in all times of, of our need, of our want, and our praise and thanksgiving. And so we see that. We see that here um, expressed in the psalm um, wonderfully. So. And it, and, and as we look at these verses, we have a few minutes before our break. As we look at these verses, it's a reminder for me, too, of sometimes we need a reminder to, to sing with some joy. You know, there's times where you're in church and you're, you're there, but you're not really, you're not really there. And I don't want to like start digging into people's hearts. I'm just, I'm just saying there's times we need a reminder to praise the sure. Lord, you know, cause we're kind of like, Oh, you know, the weather's bad or, 
it, in Minnesota, you know, it, it snowed in June or something. I mean, we, had, we have no reason to think we should praise the Lord. But here, the, the our Lord has given us a gift of the Psalms to remind us of how we can have joy and sing to the Lord. So let's get into these verses. I want to um, sure. read, I just want to read the first two and talk a okay. little bit about that as we move forward uh, before our break. So first two sure. verses of Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. So he tells them to praise the Lord, which we can do sometimes, but sure. he gives them a reason. What's the reason? Right. Well, it's it's wrapped up in what this new song is. Um, and um, so kind of, first of all, just to begin with that, so we sing to the Lord a, a new song. So, you know, what is that? What does that mean? Right. What's, mm-hmm. what is this new song? And if there's a new song, is there an old song? And so really what this is, is wrapped up in is the new song is, is a celebration of God's work of salvation that finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ. And that's the newness of it is because in Christ, all things are made new. And, um, and that newness exists day to day, as you mentioned right at the beginning, that today is a, today's a new day and we give thanks to God for that. So we join our voices in this new song of salvation that God has done. Um, and this is tied up, um, in, in the sense of redemption. And so this is also why, um, why it might go well, you know, after the Babylonian captivity is God's people have now, um, they've been redeemed. They've been brought home. And so they shout out with joy this new song and this um, the salvation and the deliverance that God has has given to His people, and um, that's, you could almost compare that to um, an old song. The old song could could maybe be in reference to um, something like the Song of Moses mm. from Exodus chapter fifteen, that that comes right after God delivers His people from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And so as Moses lifts up his voice and sings to the Lord about that redemption, this is foreshadowing this greater redemption and the greater deliverance that we have in Christ. And so that's how we see already just in that first verse that this really is a song about Christ that finds its fulfillment in Christ because he's the one who assembles us together, who makes us godly as we share um we share in his victory through this faith in christ and grace and the mercy that he has to give to us and then again we we sing we sing back to god of his marvelous deeds and the deliverance that that he has given to us both in the past as well as the, the deliverance that we're looking forward to in the future and you and go ahead, keep going go Keep oh, yeah, that, so that goes right into to verse 2, right? Let Israel, again, Israel being the assembly of the godly, right, the people mm-hmm. of God, be glad in his maker. So there's a recognition that God is, he's, he's our maker and he's our redeemer, our deliverer. And so that's what gives us cause, again, to rejoice. Um, the children of Zion rejoice in their king. So he's our maker, he's our redeemer, he's our king. He's the one who assembles us around um, his word and sacraments and who, who makes us godly. He declares us to be righteous then in, in his sight for the sake of Christ. 
And that's, that's what our whole song is wrapped up in, is, is that in and of itself, the justification, the redemption that we have in Jesus. And how can we not then, therefore, <laughs> sing to the Lord a new right. song, you know? But right now, we need to right. take our break. Uh, we are studying Psalm 149 with Pastor Ross Shaver, and we'll be right back. On America's college campuses, doors are open to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. The number of international students studying at American schools has more than quadrupled over the past decade. For many of these young men and women, it's their first time living in a free society where they can ask questions about Christianity. You can help answer their questions. Go to lhfmissions.org and partner with the Lutheran Heritage Foundation to translate good Lutheran books into languages these students can read and understand. lhfmissions.org And welcome back. We are studying Psalm 149 with Pastor Ross Shaver of Zion Lutheran Church in Nampa, Idaho. And as we look at Psalm 149, one thing that struck me, and it's something that we talked about prior to our program, Pastor, is uh, uh, Psalm 149 reminds us that there's a new song. Um, you talked about that before our break. And at the same time, that means that, that there's an old song. And as you mentioned with Moses and all of this, but it also points us to another new song. You referenced uh, Revelation 5, uh, verse 9, where it says, And they sang a new song, worthy are you to take the scroll and the open the seals and all, all of these words. And so this also points us to the end. Any, any thoughts on, on how it all connects with old and new songs and why we praise our Lord? Yeah, so this is, you know, tied up again in the um, the fulfillment of God's covenant that's found in Christ. And so this new song, um, I mean, there's even been some who um, who almost will take this psalm and say this, you know, this psalm really um, belongs almost more in the New Testament than it does in the Old. Mm. Because this new song that it references is that same song of Revelation. It's, this is the unending song of of God's people to the praise and glory of Christ and what he has done for us and continues to do for us that, that is going to continue on in eternity. And so, um, so this is why we sing it now. We're getting a little, a little bit of a foretaste of eternity in the new heavens and the new earth and the, the praise and the worship that we will be um, involved with throughout all of time and um, as we live as God's people in that eternity. And that's humbling to think about because, you know, we'll talk about how this is a psalm that's that's done with the assembly of the saints, you know, here and in, in, in heaven. But for us, you know, when Christ returns, this is what we will be singing. I mean, there's kind of some hope in, in that, that this is what we'll be singing as well. So it's a, it's a, it really comes together in so many rich and beautiful ways. So I, yeah, I'll have to yeah. think about that next time I sing it is that this is what, what I'll be singing when I'm standing before before the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a what a joy. I almost want to say amen and stop right now because that's just that's, that's overwhelming. <laughs> but anyways, um, right. I love how he says it too. Uh, the author of this says, Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. And I can't help but not think about Philippians chapter 4 when it says, Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. And here it's very clear right. that this rejoicing is not directed towards our circumstance, 
but it's rejoicing towards the Lord. Any thoughts on that? Right. Well, that's that's where all our praise and our joy is directed towards is is to Christ, um, to the Lord Himself, who who has come and done this for us, who's created us, redeemed us, sanctified us, who continues to work in our lives, and so it's you know it's no accident that that Paul picks up on this same kind of language because Paul would have been very versed, very knowledgeable in the Psalter. Um, these are these are prayers that he would have prayed on a regular occasion. And so as as he writes to, to churches there, he um, he includes the same kind of thing, saying, look, this this thing that has happened with Christ is not um, was not plan B mm. or something along those lines. But this is the fulfillment of what God has been promising all along. This has been the plan all along. And by by speaking in that same kind of language and making those sorts of connections, again, we see this unification between the Old Testament and the New Testament that that they are doing the same things. And again, they're they're directing our attention, our praise, our thanksgiving to Christ. And, and this, I find the connection here as well. That uh, well, first of all, I think this is a good reminder for all of us to sing to sing with a little more joy. Not worry about what pitch we have when we're singing on Sunday morning. You know, like um, I'm thinking of the hymn that we'll have this this Sunday, which would be on Trinity Sunday. You know, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. I mean, this is going to be it, it's going to be totally in that same realm, singing to the Lord, giving thanks to the Lord, and I, I encourage our listeners sing with a little more joy this Sunday. I mean, this is what we have. This is the redemption now. And for us, if the future glory that we will have. And, and I, I'm going to sing a little louder. I better turn my mic off when I sing this Sunday, because this is going to be even better than <laughs> normal. Right. But, uh, um, yeah, yeah. So let's, uh, let's keep it going here. Let's go through three through right. five as it, it goes beyond singing a little bit and, uh, well, makes me a little uncomfortable. So anyways, three through five okay. and also <laughs> connects us to footloose, but that's another story. Okay. Let them <laughs> praise his name with dancing making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Now, just so everyone knows, I'm not, I'm not really uncomfortable with these verses, but the first one is, is I do not dance. My poor wife is a wonderful dancer. I do not. And so, the, you know, the complementarian <laughs> view has not worked well in our home. But to me, to think about right. dancing for the Lord is kind of terrifying. But there are parts of Scripture where we have examples of this. So talk to us about that. Sure. Sure. Well, um, just like it says, you know, we, we sing with joy and with gladness, not necessarily in tune. That doesn't mean you have to have rhythm to be dancing, right? Oh, no. no. <laughs> yeah, right? So, oh, I mean, really, um, yeah, so, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the Old Testament, you know, dancing, um, it shows up occasionally here um, a few times in the Psalms. Um, as well as in a couple of other places. And it really um, really kind of refers to kind of this um, skipping, a hopping, kind of a leaping up and down with joy. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, you're so filled with this, with this joy, the gladness, this new song that it cannot help but um, kind of come out physically, right? So, I mean, think of like, think of like a little child when, um, when they're in a good mood about how, 
you know, almost for no reason, they'll just start dancing around in the middle of the room. Mm -hmm. And, and it's just that outward expression of, um, of what is going on in, um, in their hearts and the joy that they have. And it's, it's, um, kind of a wonderful thing. And it's, it's, again, it shows up a couple or several other times in the old Testament, probably, um, in connection to this, one of the, the places where people might jump and think about was um, in Second Samuel chapter 6, where um, King David is um, bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. And David is um, described as one who is um, dancing here now, dancing with joy as that Ark is, is brought up. And that's... Um, so sometimes these two things are, are kind of connected because really it is um, a very similar thing that is um, being described here and a similar thing that's going on. Now, it's also worth noting here, again, this psalm, it's, it's a processional psalm. Mm. So this is one that, that, you know, originally, again, the people of God were singing as they went up to the temple. Um, so this is not talking about liturgical dance, you know, and people or chancel prancing or something like that, right? With people getting up in the front of the church and dancing around for a, for a show or, or something like that. This is, um, this is the joy of, of, um, kind of what you would see again, think of like a parade, you know, as the parade goes by towards its destination, you have. You have people that are in part of that parade that are dancing for joy for whatever you're celebrating. And here it's the same thing. They're headed towards worship and that, that joyful and faithful expression then um, coming out in their songs and, um, and in their music. It talks about make melody to him with tambourine and lyre. So it's, it's coming out in these musical ways as God's people are um, are expressing that kind of joy. Now, I do have to say though, this um, at the same time, this is probably where where I jump to the most when it comes to this. Um, about a year ago or so, I was visiting with a fellow pastor friend of mine, and we were we were in a worship service together, not conducting the service, but actually um, part of the congregation. And, um, and we looked at each other and, and we were talking about this and how kind of how wonderful it is sometimes just to sit and be part of a congregation and to mm. just to be a hearer of the word. And we have the Lord's Supper and we come back from the Lord's Supper. And my friend is just, he's, he's giddy with joy. I mean, so he comes walking down right after receiving the body and blood of Christ. And he just has this childish grin on his face. And he's kind of bouncing down the side aisle as he's coming back to sit down in his pew. And, um, and I tease him a little bit. And he said, well, how can I not? How can I not be overjoyed at what just happened? And I just got the body and blood of Christ. My sins are forgiven. My life is secured. I have strength to endure this, this world and this life. And I know where I'm headed. How can I not express this kind of joy? Right? That's the kind of joy that the psalm is talking about, the kind of dancing. Again, it just kind of overflows into our lives um, in this kind of way um, as, a, as a physical expression of the faith and the joy that we have. Again, not, not in a way 
again, of kind of a liturgical dancing or a show or something like that in a church service, but as a, just an, express, an outward expression of the joy and the faith we have in our heart. And it's, it's funny, too. I remember, uh, you know, as people started coming back to worship and, and here in, in Minnesota, that was probably around last July is when we had this. And I remember one of the ladies coming in and, and she, she just loves to worship anyways, but she came in and said, do we, do we have the Lord's supper today? And I said, yes. And she gave a few fist bumps in the air, you know, kind of like, yes, you know, just kind of (laughs) put in the air. And that's probably what we're kind of talking about here is just that, you know, um, uh, the, the joy that's there, you'll see in some churches, and this is probably back in those days, it, that they would bring out the tambourine and just start going, you know, and, and it was right. definitely a part of the worship experience. I've been in a church like that one time, and when it's done appropriately, it really brings that joy out in ways that sometimes yeah. we don't do very well at. So that those are some of those um, situations. Now, I want to get to verse 4. Right. Because verse okay, yeah. four, I think Ray brings us back of focusing on the, okay, what do we have to do and bring us back again to why we have joy? Because he says, take pleasure in his people and adorns the humble with salvation. This is a great All verse. Right. I want to hear your thoughts. What is he saying here? Yeah, well, he, um, you know, it's very, very important, right? The Lord takes pleasure in his people. And so, you know, we have to ask why. You know, why does God take pleasure in us? And, and we know it's not because of something that we have done, right? That, that God's grace, his mercy, his pleasure, his um, lifting up his countenance upon us is a blessing that God gives us because it's wrapped up in his character, in his love. And it's all wrapped up in, in again, bringing it back to Christ, that, that we have this pleasure in, in the Lord's sight because we are people who are redeemed by Christ. And that, that goes to the next part, right? He adorns the humble with salvation. The humble right, being those who, who aren't trying to, to take this salvation for themselves, who don't have this kind of self-righteous or I'm doing it on my own attitude, but the ones who recognize our humble estate and are simply the receivers of God's grace and God's mercy. And he, um, he doesn't just give this to us, but he adorns, right? He, he dresses us up. He, he, he beautifies us. And, and that's what happens when the Lord looks upon us in this kind of pleasure is, um, is that he, um, he's giving that to those who look to him for this kind of deliverance. It's just him showing his love on his people solely because of who he is, even, even in spite of who we are, that we poor, miserable sinners um, are still those who are beloved in the Lord, all for the sake of Christ. And I like how you said that with the adorning part, because that's a, a language we don't use. And you know what's kind of funny as I think about this? A lot of biblical language we use just is not commonly used in the world. I And right. I'm going to take one step back here. Is I, I coached track at the high school, and one time one of the girls in our team, wonderful young lady, just was really upset that she's not throwing the discus further. And I said, you know, a healthy lament is very good. And she's like, Brady, what are you talking about? Lament? Who says that? And I was like, oh, I guess that's not a common word <laughs> for young people nowadays. But adorning, right. Right. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Adorning the humble. And I, I, got, I, wanna, I want you to define both of those in this context. Adorn and humility as he's talking right here. Can you unpack that a little bit? 
Sure, sure. Yeah. So the adorning, I mean, it's, I'm thinking in a sense of, of dressing, you know, of, of again, um, I said, you know, to beautify. Mm-hmm. So when this adorning is, again, it's, it's a work that God is doing to his people. So he's cleaning, he cleans us up, right? He, he gets all of the, the dirtiness of our sin off. He cleans us up. He puts us in the best clothes, right? He, um, um, he combs your hair, if you have it, unlike me. Um, you know, gets your hair all nice and um, just makes you beautiful and presents you as, as, um, as that beautiful bride of Christ. So think of, you know, think of that um, passage where St. Paul talks about, you know, husbands and wives in Ephesians chapter five and how in that passage, right? He says, husband loves your wives as Christ, um, as Christ has loved the church and he gives himself up for her. And then how he, how he takes that bride and he adorns her, right? He presents her to himself as, as beautiful, as, um, as holy, as the most prized and special thing in all the world, because that's um, the bride of Christ. That's whom Christ has died for. Right? That's who he, he gave his life for us to save. And so that adorning uh, really is just dressing us up in the robe of Christ's righteousness. So you have our baptismal language here as well. Um, to be dressed up, and, and that, that jumps ahead to um, to the book of Revelation, right? where St. John sees the heavenly host. Right? Who are these? dressed in white robes, and from where they come. These are the ones who have been washed clean in the blood of the Lamb. Right? So that's being adorned, is, um, is beautified to be clean, to be presented to God and to all of creation as this beautiful crown jewel whom Christ has died for and saved and redeemed. So that's that adorning part. And again, the humble, right? The humble is, is, is simply those who... who um, who trust, who fear, love, and trust in God above all things, right? And not themselves. Who, um, who recognize their sinfulness and their need for the Savior and who know who that Savior is. And that's, that's wrapped up into this joy. I mean, think, think about it. So you said, you know, lament is sometimes good, right, is yeah. what you said. The victory is so much more sweet when you recognize the, the extent of loss. And so there's this old saying, right? The, the lower the view of humanity that we have, the higher a view of Christ that we have, mm. because the greater is his love and the depths of what he has done for us, that he would save poor, miserable sinners. And, and in doing so, um, the humility that comes with knowing our, our part in creation our role in relationship to him and others, our brokenness that we struggle with in this sinful life. And then understanding the depth of God's love in Christ Jesus, that he would, would save a sinner like me. Um, it's just, it's, it's almost beyond description, which is why we have the very word of God to describe this for us. And again, to put our, our thoughts, our feelings, our heart, into words divinely inspired so that we can join our voice with the psalmist and with God's people to put expression 
to to the joy and the hope that we have in Christ. And this is why uh, Dr. Seleska said this very, very strongly, is that we often just plow through the Psalms. Like we don't just let it hit us in the way that it would have hit people in those days. And also to understand, yeah. I mean, just think about that. The word adorn and humble, we might think we know the answer, but until you understand the context of when we sing this or we pray this, how how deep it really is. Now, let's move on to verse 5. Now, we can't be, we can't be doing this all day, so we have about 10 minutes left here. And so okay. in verse 5, it says, sing for joy on their beds. Now, what I envisioned with this is, you know, when my kids were little and we're like, hey, and they started jumping up and down on the bed. And if you're having a good day, you tend to let your kids do that. You're not yelling at them to get off the bed and, you know, no more monkeys jumping on the bed type of feel that I have. Right. So any any thoughts on singing joy on their beds? What are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I think, um, well, I think that's, that is in reference to, to something similar. So it's, it's, not just in this um, this communal festival worship, but also in the um, the solitary nature of when you know when we lay our heads down to sleep. Mm. That at night, when we commend our our lives, our safety and security into the Lord's hands as we await um, the the new day to which we awake up, that we um, even then we um, we sing for joy, and that um, when it just whether it's me and, and the whole people of God or whether it's just me and the Lord, that we, um, we rejoice in Him, um, especially at those times and even at those times when we are so, um, so dependent upon all the things that we are in need. Well, and you have that hymn that talks about, All praise to Thee, my God, this night. And, and it's a comforting song. Um, because it reminds us that when we go to bed, uh, we are going to bed in peace, and that peace also can be part of our joy. Um, right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, shoot, you know what I'm trying to find, if I can't find it right now, but just that reminder that when we go to bed, that we're reminded that we will go to bed, and may we be able to go to bed with joy, that if, whether it's going to sleep or whether it is our last breath, that we are able to have joy because we know we are adorned in our, in our Lord's grace and his salvation. So, uh, we, Pastor, we have about Absolutely. six minutes left, and so let's go through the last <laughs> number of verses. Who would have thought nine verses right. would take so long? And, and let's yeah. make sure we get this thoroughly done. So, verses 5 through 9. Let the godly exalt in glory. Excuse me, verse 6. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and the two-edged sword in their hands to execute vengeance on all the nations and punishments on the peoples to bind their king with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the judgment written, this is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Now, there's a, a tone change here. And how would you describe these last four verses and what the psalmist is telling them? Because it is a huge change in how he talks and how that relates to us today. Right. Yeah, so while these first five verses are... Uh, really are talking about the salvation that we have in Christ. Now, now these last verses really point towards the future triumph that we are still awaiting and, and how we live as God's people in, in the meantime here. So, I mean, the overall theme of triumph, of victory, 
that is ours is still there, but now we're, now we're shifting towards looking towards the future, really, and what this, um, what this looks like and where this rests. Um, but yeah, throughout here, again, there is, um, there is this shift and it's a shift as, as well to, um, a, the battle, the warfare, again, you know, as a, as a hymn of triumph, this is a triumph then over the enemies of God. And so we have um, um, this warfare that as a Christian, we'd say this spiritual warfare that we are engaged. So we think of like Ephesians chapter six, um, that, that here now in these verses of the Psalm, we have um, words of combat and invocation of battle and blessing that they, these things are inseparable in the evangelical life of those who have faith in Christ. And so it's, it's, it's all wrapped up into, um, into this kind of aspect. So really then to be able to pray this Psalm properly, that, that we must recognize that we're numbered among those warriors, right? The spiritual warriors that we are, we are part of the church militant here on earth, still engaged in this battle, soldiers of the cross and God's saints. And it, it repoints us to why this is the, the one of the major aspects of why you have this on All Saints Sunday. Um, right. That they, from their labors, rest, but we continue to fight the good fight. Um, and, and that's exactly. a great transition. He lays the foundation of who we are and then shows us the reality that, that we praise God with our throats, but we still have to fight um, to make sure that the, the, that the devil and, and uh, the world and our flesh will not have the victory because Christ has had the victory. Um, any, right. any verses here that you want to highlight in these last number of verses, uh, uh, last number of minutes? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, just, you know, as we read through these verses, we take note that it's, um, that God is the one who is acting. He's the main actor here. So he's the one who executes vengeance and punishment, who binds, um, and who brings judgment. So, so this is not a reference to God's people taking up a temporal physical sword and going out, um, in some sort of crusading movements to overcome the world. But, but it's a recognition that Christ has fought the battle for us, that God is the one who's engaged in this. And then as that very last part um, of verse 9 highlights, this is the honor for all his godly ones, that we now, as, as those who have faith in Christ, we share in Christ's victory over these things. Mm. And so we're not the ones who, who have to overcome the world, but Christ has overcome the world, and we share now in that victory. Now, so a couple other, uh, uh, I think, really important things here. When it talks about in verse 6, the two-edged swords in their hands. So as Lutherans, um, we, have, we have the perfect language and perfect ideology as we talk about this. This is the sword of the Spirit, the sword of the Word of God. This is the law and the gospel, right? Because that's the weapon that we use as we are engaged in this kind of spiritual battle is simply the word of God and, and the law of God that condemns our sin, the gospel that forgives and enlivens and strengthens. And so that's, that's the weapon that we use as we engage in this warfare. Um, and, and that God uses to change hearts, but also to, um, to judge the world. 
So, so this is all wrapped up, and so we do have to be careful. And this, these verses have been misapplied and misused historically. Mm. Just a couple of real quick notes on this. Um, it, it was uh, misused in the time of Luther. This guy named um, Thomas Munzer used this and to kind of ignite the peasants' war, where he encouraged peasants to rise up against their masters and overthrow them physically, um, to kill them. Um, and in an order and an effort to bring God's kingdom into the world. And Luther had very strong things to say about this. He said, no, that's not what this is about. <laughs> now, a couple of generations later, the same passage was used in the Thirty Years' War in Europe, which was just a tragic war. Um, and Roman Catholics um, had been using it um, in the battle against Lutherans and saying, you know, we have to reclaim what belongs to us, and again, usher in this kingdom of God and Christendom. Um, but they're, they're totally misunderstanding and misapplying this. And so we have to be careful today, too, that this is not a call to physical arms to somehow overthrow some kind of government and culture in which we are in odds. But this is a call to arms of spiritual arms, to, um, to hear the word of God, to pray the word of God, to do what we've been talking about with these psalms, to lift up our voice in the glory and in the praise of God for the victory that we have, um, and to continue on to fight that good fight of faith, being anchored in Christ and anchored in his work. Pastor, for 30 seconds here, how would you wrap up this psalm and how would you, uh, how would you wrap it up? Well, um, as we start the very first verse and the last verse, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's, that's what it's all about. The praise of the victory that we have, the triumph that we have in Christ Jesus. So I would encourage you to, and, and all the listeners here, to take up the psalms in prayer, in psalm, in, and in worship, both public as well as private devotion. And to praise the Lord by hearing the word of God and um, and using that word of God to call upon him and at all times. Pastor Ross Shaver of Zion Lutheran Church and School in Nampa, Idaho, helping us today with Psalm 149. Pastor Shaver, thank you for being our guest. Well, it's my pleasure. Saints of our Lord, praise the Lord. It says it at the beginning and says it at the end. Why? Because the Lord takes pleasure in his people and he adorns you with salvation, his robes of righteousness. And the battle is not done, but he does give us his word, the two-edged sword of law and gospel to remind us that although the battle is not done, he has accomplished salvation, has had the victory. So we're able to praise this not only here on this side of eternity, but also when he he comes and returns, and that we are all together praising his name. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.